Hello and welcome to the Magical Midlife Podcast, where you get a refreshing, uplifting and optimistic perspective on life in your 40s and 50s. I'm your host, Lindsay DeSwart, and I'm delighted that you've joined us here today. So let's jump right in. Hi, just before we jump into the show today, I want to talk to you a little bit about Find Your Wings. And it's a program that I'm running this year, and it's to help women to really make the most of this incredible time that we're in. Outwardly, it seems like it's chaos and turmoil, and a lot of people are really struggling. But I want to help you really tune into the energy of the wisdom that nature and all the changes we're going through holds for you. So if you come over to Instagram, you can look onto the link for Find Your Wings or it's over in the Facebook group, Magical Midlife Group, and you'll find connections there for the Find Your Wings group. I'd love to see you in the group. We're just starting it now and it's going to be really kicking off at the beginning of Feb. I look forward to seeing you there and enjoy the show today. Hi, on today's episode, I am very fortunate to be interviewing a lady called Jo Mosley. And Jo describes herself as a joy encourager, adventurer and ambassador. And most recently, and what we talk a lot about, is her film Brave Enough, which is a film that she made while she paddleboarded across the north of England. And you will hear all the details about it, but it's an incredibly motivational and inspirational film. And so we talk about that today and what drove her to do it in her midlife and also how you can contact her to get hold of the film because it's a fantastic inspirational viewing experience. Okay, so let's go to the episode. So hi there, Joe. How are you doing today? Hello. Thank you, Lindsay. I'm really good. Thank you. Very, very good. Fantastic. Well, I'm so delighted that you're with us today and I had the absolute privilege of watching your film yesterday and I cannot wait for us to talk about that because there are so many beautiful messages in there that you have to share with this circle of women and it makes my heart sing with joy that that you're willing to share it with us today thank you thank you that's very kind I'm honored that you enjoyed it thank you that's cool so Joe, let's start at the beginning. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about who you are and then we will roll into how you've created this amazing magical midlife that you've now created? <laughs> Thank you. Um, so my name's Jim Mosley. I'm 56. I'll be 57 in about two and a half weeks, Boxing Ooh. Day. Yeah, I'll be 57 on Boxing Day. And I have two sons aged 20 and 24. Um, at work and at university so I'm very much an empty nester Um, single parent I've been a single parent for gosh 13 14 years now Um, so I live alone um, and I'm just in that stage of sort of post-menopausal looking towards 60 healthy aging empty nesting what's next what am I creating um so it's all winging it and unfolding in whatever way it is, really, just taking it step by step. <laughs> Fantastic. So what is it about your midlife journey that has caused you to do such incredible things that we are going to hear about? But what was the crux of it all for you? Um, the crux, like for so many women, I think, was hitting rock bottom oh. and um, just thinking, I can't go on like this. So um, it was about 
So in December now, so it was May 2013, um, I was 48. Both my parents were going through chemotherapy. So my dad has had breast, bowel and skin cancer. And my mum at the time had lymphoma and they were literally organizing their diaries. Who was going to hospital which day? Oh, my um, goodness. Yeah. So it's pretty, pretty tough. And um, my sons, I was a single mum, you know, two boys, sort of 13, 16, busy, busy time working, trying to you know, put food on the table. And we were in um, Tesco's, which is a supermarket um, mm-hmm. for your international listeners. I know it well. <laughs> um, <laughs> Tesco's in Skipton, which is a town in the north of England where I live. And um, I just, it was at that witching hour, which I'm sure all of you will know when it's after work and after school and you just want to get home and everybody's just hangry. Mm. Um, you know, you're hungry and you're angry and you're grumpy. And, and I just remember just being in the biscuit aisle. Um, of the supermarket and dropping the bags and leaning against the chocolate, looking at the biscuits and for some reason focusing on the hobnobs, which is not my favourite biscuit, but it's a type of biscuit, and bursting into tears and just sobbing and saying to the boys, I can't go on, I just can't do this. And I wasn't sure what this meant, but I think it was just basically being stretched to the point of breaking. And at that point I was broken. And I, I must say that I have cried in most supermarkets over those over those years. <laughs> you know, it wasn't just that one. Um, and, and I just sort of felt like I don't know what's going on. So I was 48 and the perimenopause was just not anything I knew anything about. I thought mm-hmm. the menopause happens about when you were 60 and you had a hot flush once in a while, and then it all changed, mm. and you sort of started wearing elastic trousers, which I have to say are very handy sometimes. Um, <laughs> but you know what I mean? You just sort of, and it all happened later, and, and it was all about hot flushes. And I had no idea that it had anything to do with anxiety or insomnia or um, cold flushes or headaches, and that was what I was experiencing. So it, it all started with hitting rock bottom, which I think happens to so many women mm. in midlife, and then you suddenly say, okay, I need to do something different. Yeah, absolutely. I think it also, because it blindsides so many people because nobody, as you, it, just as you said, nobody expects it. Nobody knows what no. to expect. No, no, exactly. Nobody, I think it's different now. I think, as, as, as we said when we were chatting, you know, it's having its moment finally and there's yeah. lots yeah. of people talking about it, lots of communities sharing different information and, and saying you're not crazy, you're not alone, it can get better, you do deserve help. But back, you know, even eight years ago, it just wasn't like that. It was just, it was stabbing in the dark. And so I was just desperately anxious and desperately sleep deprived. Mm-hmm. And I just put it all down to mum and dad being unwell and all down to being um, a single mum. And I had no idea that all these other things were contributing and that the fact that I was awake at three in the morning actually had something to do with my hormones, not just a natural me worrying. Mm-hmm. And so then I just had to start literally piecing it together backwards and it probably took me 18 months to two years to suddenly go oh gosh I think I'm going through the menopause you know literally it was like that it was just piecing it together from what I could get on social media it sounds crazy but you know if it hadn't been for Twitter I wouldn't wouldn't know what was going on oh my goodness who'd have thought you'd had to go to Twitter for menopause I know (laughs) (laughs) so I mean from what you've said the raising your boys on your own and then also with what your parents were going through, mm. those two are enormously stressful anyway. Mm. 
But yeah. then, as you say, for your hormones to like completely r- pull the rug from under your feet. I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm not surprised you were crying in the aisles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Looking back, I don't know. You know, and I think to the times when, you know, I would flip like this at the boys when something went wrong, or just have no patience. And I do remember often I'd be driving home from, uh, you know, work and school and they'd be like, okay, one of you, you know, one of us will light the fire, put the fairy lights on, make her a cup of tea, light a candle. Is there any chocolate in the house? You know, calm her down. And Mm. and I didn't know that any of this wasn't just normal stress. Um, Mm. And I, I had no idea. So, you know, I have to thank them for their understanding and kindness because, you know, there were times I flipped out or there were times I just burst into tears for no reason. Um, and also I remember because I don't get hot flushes, I get cold flushes um, mm-hmm. and headaches. And so, I mean, I, I don't get them as much now. Now I'm just generally cold, but that's just me. <laughs> um, you know, I'm here with jumpers and layers and the fire on. Um, but I would get shivering cold flushes and headaches. And I'd say to the boys, oh, I'm, I'm going to have to go to bed. I think I'm getting flu. Um, and I would worry that I was getting flu, which would mean, that, you know, would I be well enough to work? And obviously, you know, I was lucky I had a, a job with a, a contract. It wasn't like it was on zero contract hours or anything. But I would worry that, you know, if I couldn't go to work, what they would think of me. Mm. Um, and so I'd go to bed really early with flu in inverted commas. And then I'd wake up the next morning and think, oh, that was just a 12 hour bug. I'm fine. And it mm. wasn't flu. It was just a cold flush and a headache and achy joints and bones, you know, all that stuff that you get just coming at once. And, you know, I literally thought I was getting flu for two years. It was bizarre. And then I'd wake up the next morning and go, oh, I'm feeling fine now. But had no, I just didn't piece these bits together at all. Yeah, but how would you? I'm actually just thinking now. It's like, hold on a minute. So all those times I thought I had flu and I was so healthy that it went away really fast. Yeah. <laughs> that was all just perimenopausal. Yeah. No. You know, who knows, who knows, but all those achy joints and headaches and yeah. And, and it's only now that I look back and think, you know, gosh, I, I don't go to bed every day thinking I'm ill. <laughs> wow. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, it's crazy. OK, so from moving on from the biscuit aisle mm. and those really uncertain and yeah, just tough, tough times. Mm. What changed within you that made you turn things around I think I just realized that I had to do something about it I couldn't carry on like that and so I didn't want to worry mum and dad and so I told a friend and I just said oh you know ha ha I was crying in the supermarket and she was like well well that's funny Joe you know what I mean mm. you just kind of want to say something to let somebody know that things aren't great mm. even though I've always had this incredible sense as a single mum that I had to be twice as good as anyone else my children had to be twice you know because I didn't want people to call me sort of like a feckless single mum and whatever so but I just sort of felt like probably (laughs) sorry is there such a thing as a feckless single mum? no there really isn't I've (laughs) never you know I'm sure there are one or two but most single mums are just you know spinning a thousand plates yeah seriously demand huge respect or should do But but I also felt like, you know, I didn't want to let anybody down. And so I just sort of told her and she said, well, how much exercise do you do? And she knew that I spent all my weekends at the rugby pitch watching the boys, taking them here and there and everywhere. But, you know, words like self-care, literally, I didn't know what that meant. Um, And so she said, look, I've got this old indoor rowing machine. 
it's going either to the tip or to the charity shop. Exercise might help you sleep. And for me, sleep is the foundation of all life. You know, mm, fair enough. I start thinking about going to bed at about seven o'clock. You know, I might, mm-hmm. you know, all that sort of stuff. And so she said, it might just help you sleep. And if you sleep, you might not cry so much. And I was like, yeah, I'll do that. And so I got this very old indoor rowing machine, put it in our little kitchen. And within a couple of weeks, I was sleeping, you know, not brilliantly. Wow, but better. But going through the night, you know, <laughs> like a baby, going through the night, I was actually starting to sleep. I was actually starting to not fear going to bed, you know. Mm. And, um, and so life just started to be a lot brighter. So I think it was just recognizing that I'd hit a bit of a low, mm. Big bit of a low, and recognizing that I needed to ask for help, and that it wasn't a bad thing to ask for help. Um, mm. I wasn't failing by asking for help, um, and yeah, just started to realize that that I could somehow get back to myself again, which is probably a better place to be than where you were right at that time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, yeah. and obviously, like anything, you don't really get back to yourself. You you go through something, and you become somebody different. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it was just recognizing I needed help, really. Yeah. So where did your rowing journey lead you? <laughs> well, not very far, actually, but yeah. quite far in other ways. So um, that was sort of May, June 2013. Um, in December 2013, my mum died. Um, her lymphoma returned and she died just before Christmas. And what I realized was that um, so the rowing machine she'd given me had completely died at that point. And I'd gone back, I'd joined a gym and I never went to the gym to um, really get fit, but I just found it was very soothing. Yeah. I didn't really use any of the other machinery or anything. I just found it very soothing. And when she died, I realized as we were going through the process of, you know, obviously then Christmas, um, my sister's birthday, Christmas, my birthday, New Year, getting the funeral sorted looking after the boys, looking after my dad. But actually, I was still going back to the gym. And mm. and it wasn't anything to do with losing weight or getting fit, which is the only reason I'd ever felt that you would want to go to a gym. But there was that element of the, the movement was soothing me. It was a place I could cry, listen to music, reflect on what was happening. And so in the March 2014, um, I then went to bereavement counselling um, and it was an extraordinary experience. And, you know, if anyone ever is off of bereavement counselling, I think it's it's just tremendous, just unbelievably useful and, and, you know, hugely grateful for it. And a gentleman said to me, how how do you feel? And I said, I feel like I'm in an old rowing machine, an old rowing boat in the middle of a lake. And my old life is the shoreline around the lake and I want to get back there and I don't know how to get back there I'm just standing there waving my arms about just saying take me back to my old life I don't I can't cope you know I was looking after my dad who was obviously distraught um you know the the lymphoma had sort of because lymphoma is a blood cancer um my mum had lost her hair but then it had grown back but she'd never like my dad's had breast, bowel and skin cancer. And so he had things removed. Mm. Lymphoma is a different thing mm. and it's more silent in a way. And so we all just thought she was okay. And then it, it kind of just crept back and suddenly she went into hospital. And then within days we realized she wasn't coming home again. And so there was a lot of 
shock and anger really. Yeah, really. And, and she had a very yeah she had a peaceful death and you know but but it was a it was a shock to us all um and and so I was dealing with my dad trying to look after the boys trying to keep you know my job and putting food on the table and all that sort of stuff and um and so it was it was tricky and the gentleman said to me what do you think you need to do and I said metaphorically of course I need to sit down and I need to row back to the shore I need to stop (laughs) wanting the boat to take me I need to just calm down and literally stroke by stroke get back to that old life and just believe I could get there and obviously I meant it metaphorically Mm. but about two or three weeks later I thought you know I need to do something to honor mum I need Mm. to turn this grief into something positive otherwise it will eat me up Mm. and so I thought well what could I do as a fundraiser well I thought well there's nothing nothing that I have to offer the world right now um the only thing that I've is of any interest is that I'm rowing so I decided to row a million meters and a marathon and in the end two half marathons to raise money for Macmillan Cancer who had supported my mum and dad wow and I started it two or three weeks later on um the 5th of May their wedding which would have been their wedding anniversary Hmm. and I rowed 10,000 meters every other night for eight months and culminating with the marathon on the 21st of December, which was the first anniversary of her death, and five days before my 50th. And we raised just with gift aid over £10,000. So, wow. Yeah. And I just was able somehow to just turn that grief into something positive in a way. Fantastic. Yeah. Now, with the rowing, you managed to create quite a community to help you with this too, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. It was extraordinary. So I was on Twitter. I've never been very good at Facebook but I was I've always been you know Twitter then was a lot less shouty and a lot less angry fair enough <laughs> um, yeah and it was it was a nice community and I would put so you know on obviously you as a rower you know on a on a rowing machine they have the little um monitor yeah strokes and all that stuff and I would take photos and I put it up and 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 people who were indoor rowers and people who were like rower rowers you mm-hmm. know boats sort of somehow find me and they'd go oh my gosh your strokes per minute are just horrendous <laughs> this way and you know and I had Olympians like literally Olympians and Paralympians saying Joe you know you need to do it this way and wow and they were just so kind and 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 I don't think I was ever ever particularly a good rower on the rowing machine but it did get I did get more efficient mm. um, and yeah they were just and, and some of those people now you know, I follow them on Twitter and, and they follow me and, and one of them has a great podcast. And, you know, it's just lovely. It's like we've all kind of grown together. And um, so, yeah, the community was I really learned the value of community and, and what you could do and how how people want to help you, really. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I sort of found myself at the end of 2014 just in a bit of a better place and, and feeling like I turned that grief into something something positive Mm. so fantastic Mm. well you've hit on a number of things that I completely love (laughs) one is the community of rowers yeah when I was a rower I said I could live anywhere in the world and so long as there's a rowing club I'll always have friends yes exactly yeah because it's such an insanely hard sport yes (laughs) yeah and it takes so much coordination so much mental strength 
yeah that as you say you need to build up a community to keep you going yeah. and clearly that yeah. community did keep you going yeah they were just so kind you know so kind to this woman that didn't really have a clue what she was doing um <laughs> so yeah yeah amazing amazing fantastic and then also as you talked about about the metaphor the metaphor of movement can help mm. us in so many other ways way beyond anything to do with health yeah. and weight loss yeah yeah it's, yeah it's, absolutely it's got so many benefits anyway so where did your rowing adventure then take you because you then got into a whole different ball game didn't you? <laughs> yeah yeah so then I just started to realize that movement so I had grown up in you know the 70s thinking that exercise was about losing weight or competing with people you know winning races doing netball and stuff at school and I'm not a competitive person I wish maybe I was because maybe I'd be more productive in life but I'm not so you know it was you only moved then really to lose weight and so instead of you know I would just restrict what I ate you know and and so I'd always seen exercise as a thing I had to do all the magazines as I grew up were you know, exercise to lose weight. There was never mention of joy. There was yeah. never mention of fun. You know, I'd see people saying, oh God, I love being on the hockey team. And I think, mm, really? That sounds, yeah. Why would you do that? Well, that sounds hard work. <laughs> that sounds like hard work, you know. Mm. Um, and so I started to realize that exercise could be something joyful. And I went back to lots of the things that I'd done as a little girl, like bodyboarding, like swimming in the sea, and just thought, you know, these things bring me joy. Yes, the rowing had soothed me. It had taken the grief that I think was in my bones mm. and somehow I'd exhaled it. But then I'd gone from grief and soothing to joy. So I started doing some really lovely things and, um, you know, just riding my bike and just, you know, enjoying life. And then in January 2016, um, I went away for the weekend and I slipped in the in the bathroom like the the bath mat wasn't particularly mm. correct for the for the type of bathroom and I injured my knee and then all those things that I'd done you know joyfully I just couldn't do and I realized that you know my head was hanging I was on crutches my head was hanging low and you know a lot of that joy had just sort of like a little balloon had just withered away out yeah. of me and I and I started to realize that as just as you said, that movement is so beyond um, you know, what it does just physically, mm. you know, it, it was really affecting my well-being. And so in the September of that year, I set myself because I love that whole going back to school thing. It's always really, I love that, you know, new notebook, new pencil. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> new school bag, new school shoes. School yeah. Bags. yeah, yeah, I love it. I love it. And I thought, right, I'm going to set myself a challenge because my knee was starting to heal. Um, and I was going to spend half an hour each day, and I called it rain or shine. So half an hour each day doing some kind of movement. So I was off the crutches and things. And basically all I could do was walk. But, you know, that was great. Mm. And I'd read somewhere, I have no idea where, that paddleboarding was really good for your core strength, good for your balance. Um, but it would not impact on my knee. And, you know, my knee's mm. always just just not quite right. Um, so on um, September the 24th, I took a paddleboarding lesson in the Lake District. Wow. Um, and um, just loved it. Just mm. felt like a goddess. I, I always say I felt like a warrior, not a worrier. I've been a warrior for months and months with my knee. And I just stood there, looked out onto the Lake District and just thought, this is amazing. I love it. 
Wow. Didn't stop smiling all the way home. And then so what happened with your paddleboard adventure? Because that turned into something special, <laughs> didn't it? Yeah, that did. See, so I clearly have these ideas um, way beyond <laughs> my capability, I have to say. So I decided a couple of months later that I wanted to paddleboard from Liverpool to Leeds along the Leeds-Liverpool Canal, which is 128 miles. And Which, I, for people who aren't particularly familiar yes. with the places in England, that's yes. like coast to coast in the north of England. Well, it's no, that particular trip was coast to the middle of England. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that's what I originally decided. Um, but it was about Christmas time, and I went to, like, Christmas parties and things, and somebody was like, what are you going to do next year? And I went, oh, I think I'm going to paddleboard from Liverpool to Leeds, so, mm. like, kind of halfway across the country. And the response I got was, oh, that sounds really boring. Uh, that <laughs> sounds logistically very complex and also too difficult for a woman of your age. Oh, and I was literally only nearly 52 at the time. So I was coming up to my 52nd birthday. And because my confidence, I'm not a particularly confident person, Lindsay, but my confidence then wasn't, wasn't that great. I think now that I'm older and postmenopausal, it's not necessarily confidence. It's just I don't have any more, you know, interest in other people's opinions of me. I think you get to that point. It's not, not a beautiful conf- thing. Yeah, it's not confidence exactly. It's just like I'm done I'm done with what you keep saying about what I can and can't do. I've had 56 years of this. I just don't need it anymore. But back then I wasn't at that stage. I was still like, oh, really? You think you think I couldn't do it? Yeah, you're probably right. So I put the dream away. Um, but then funnily enough, I, I realized that over the Christmas I was doing all these little logos on Canva and things like that. But I put the dream away and then I brought the dream back. So that was January. So that was sort of December 2016. And then I brought the dream back again in January 2019. Yeah. And there was two main reasons. One, I'd lost um, about five girlfriends in six months um, from different areas of my life, from different areas of my life. Um, Some I'd known for years, some just were like, you know, people you met in the street and or schoolgate mums. But the, the thing they all had in common was that they were incredibly creative and those sorts of women that if you met them in the street, you'd go away going, oh, I'm really glad I met her. You know, I just feel a bit uplifted. I just feel a bit brighter. I just feel like her creativity shone a little spark, you know. Mm. And and I just remember thinking, you know, life is really short, Joe, because only one of them had reached 50. Um, And I thought, and I was now by this time 54. Wow, that's Uh, pretty tragic. Yeah, yeah. And I thought life is really short and really precious. And if you're going to, you know, just try. And also I recognised that my youngest son would be going off to university and I would be an empty nester and I needed a dream to pull me to the future. Mm, For sure. So I remember sitting at at my my friend's house um, and I just went and I just put into Instagram hashtag Leeds Liverpool Canal Mm. it's like it just in the back of my head that dream had still I put it away but only kind of in a in a bottom drawer you know Mm. it was still there and and I saw that there was this chap called Jason that was doing this trip and he wasn't just doing the Leeds to Liverpool he was then doing Leeds sorry Liverpool to Leeds he was then going on to Ghoul which Mm. is the opposite so it was the coast to coast and I remember looking and thinking he's doing this in the next couple of weeks if he's doing it, maybe I could do it. I had mm. absolutely no basis of 
factual information to give me any reason to believe I could do it. I know, but dreams aren't based on anything to do with factual information. No, there was no factual information there. And I just remember standing up and I said to Tim, you know that dream I had to paddleboard from Liverpool to Leeds? And he's like, "Uh, yeah. Yeah, Kind (laughs) of, yeah. I said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go right across to Gaul. And he was like, what what do you mean? I was like, I'm going to go from Liverpool (laughs) to Leeds and then I'm going to change onto the other thing that you change onto and I don't know what the name of it is but I'm going to do it anyway and I'm going to go to Ghoul and it's 162 miles and I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it this summer and nobody is going to tell me I can't do it and he was like okay thank <laughs> you whatever and I just wow. decided I just decided again with absolutely a bit like the rowing I have zero information to tell me I can do this hmm. but I'm going to do it anyway somehow and then I froze obviously and went oh my god I can't do this um so then I had to put it out onto my social media to make myself do it um and then I did it so in the summer I became the first woman to paddleboard coast to coast which was incredible because there was literally no good evidence to suggest I would do it (laughs) but you've provided good evidence to suggest that you could do it yeah and you have done it and I have done it yeah I still can't remember, imagine that I did. But yeah, I did. Funny. I did it. And 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 it was extraordinary and it was really hard and it was horrible and it was amazing and wonderful. It was all those things. It was like Glenn and Doyle says, it was brutal. You know, it had all oh. the good and all the bad and everything in between. And it was just like life. And the world shone on us and the world rained on us. And I met great people and we made a film about it. And yeah, and it just, yeah, was was lovely. It was just what did lovely- you learn? What did you learn about yourself in the process? Um, I learned, so the film's called Brave Enough, A Journey Home to Joy. And I Mm. learned that I am brave enough. You know, Mm. I learned that I am enough. And, you know, it sounds, I know a lot of people, like sometimes I'll talk to my sons and I'll say, you know, you are enough. And they'll look at me and they'll be like, yeah, I knew that already. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, mum. And I'll be like, yeah, but. And it wasn't my parents that said I wasn't enough. It was just society. Yeah. You know, just the impression was always that, you know, as girls and young women, we just weren't enough. We just had to be slimmer or brighter or do more or juggle all the things, you know, mm-hmm. the whole cosmopolitan thing, magazine, the cosmopolitan, you know, be everything to everybody, be a fully self-actualized woman, never say no to any opportunity, you know, just do everything all the time at your best. Mm. And and so I just could never keep up with that, you know, and mm. also having nails painted at the same time. And how how on earth do you find time to do that? And I guess I just realized that you didn't, I didn't need to determine my life on those exterior criteria. And I was enough and I was okay as I was. And I was, I was brave enough to always just take the next step. It's mm. never about being brave to, for me personally, being brave to say, I can do that. But what I can do is I can take the next step. And as long as I'm brave enough to just keep taking the next step, then somehow I'll get to where I need to be. Mm. And, you know, it's just those tiny steps. And I keep having to remind myself every time I do something and I get scared about it, all you need to do is be brave enough to take that next step and then the next one and then the next one. And so I think that's what I learned, just, you know, step by step, day by day, I'm enough as I am and just take, you know, and other people's opinion. The thing is that that chap who did ultimately sponsor me, I bet he didn't remember what he had said to me that night by saying I couldn't do. The oh, trip. No, it would just be a passing comment. It was just a passing comment. 
you know, it was just a passing comment. He he probably went to bed that night and had already forgotten about the Leeds Liverpool now. But for me, it's stuck in my mm. in my you know my head and my heart, and and so I realised that you know people do that, and 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 you have to stick with your dream, you know, because what they think is is what they think, and you can't be responsible for that. So, but in the in a way, yes. Would I have liked to have done it in two thousand and seventeen? Yes. Would I have been able to do it? I wouldn't have been allowed to go through the, the tunnels. They they weren't open to paddleboarders. Would I have met Frit, who ultimately made a film with me? No, I wouldn't have done. Mm-hmm. So I kind of trust trust the timing of it, you know, that we then yeah. made the film together. So, and I think also, Lindsay, if I'd done it in 2017, I would have been doing it with a bit of my ego driving it. Mm. It's a different you know, intention, like, different energy. Yeah, the, the intentions would have been about me proving to people that I was really cool. Yeah, really good. I'll show them. I'll show them. Whereas by the time I did it, it was about who can I serve? You know, what what mm. can I do? Who can I, you know, so I'm going to pick up litter and I'm going to raise money for a mental health charity that takes children surfing. And I came from it from a point of view of what can I serve here? What's the bigger, you know, not in a like a woo-woo way, but, you know, who can I serve? What can I do? How can I make a difference? Whereas I think if I had done it in 2017, I still think it, there would have been a sense of, look what I can do. Mm. Whereas I'd got to the point of thinking, what difference can I make? So I think I, ca- I would have come at it with a different intention. So, um, so I'm glad, you know, I just trusted that the way it, it, the way it unfolded was the way it should have unfolded. It's funny how things work like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, especially it's, when yeah. they're so big, as you say, yeah. that you actually have got no idea how you're going to achieve it. But when you first start out, yeah. So, yeah, I had no idea. I was going to say one of the things I absolutely loved in the film and you can anybody who's listening can take this at whatever level they want to but it it was definitely one of the takeaways from when I watched it was each leg of the journey each day you started off and it might have been that the weather wasn't the most fantastic or it may have been that the weather was lovely mm. but you had to do what you had to do on that day. Yeah. Yeah. And there was no ceremony. There was no, you know, crowd cheering you on. No. There wasn't banners at the finish line. It was so totally motivated by you being strong and being determined to achieve what you'd set out to achieve. Yes. Yeah. No, thank you. You're right. I mean, I set off in the pouring rain. The beginning of the Leeds Liverpool Canal is in a housing estate. <laughs> it was raining. There was litter. There was three or four of people. One woman came to say goodbye and she got stuck in traffic. You know, there were no banners. There were no trumpets. There was it was just us and Frit was there filming and I hardly knew Frit. And it was like, oh hi. And and you know, and I I had my egg sandwich. But then I forgot to drink. So I got quite woo- woozy at the end. I thought I was drunk because I was like, and I don't know what it feels like to be drunk because I don't drink, but I was like dizzy and I dropped my brand new phone. And, and then I realized I hadn't drunk enough. There was no, it wasn't, you know, you see these adventures and you think, oh my God, the beginning must be just, you know, yeah. like everybody's sending you off out there. It was so not like that. It mm. was so uninspiring in a way and yet it was exactly what I wanted because I wanted to show adventure on your doorstep 
And I wanted to show that you don't, yeah, you don't need fanfare. Mm. And I didn't expect anybody. There were people at the end, but I didn't expect anyone at the end. It was just they came and Frit had organized it. All I thought was that my dad would be there. Mm. Um, and, and then there were these other people. And, and obviously I won't spoil the ending, but it was pretty cool. Mm. Um, not because of anything I did, but just the world conspired to help us. Um, and um, but yeah, you do. You just get up each day and and you just just have to keep plodding on, really. Mm. <laughs> and there are days like that in life, aren't there? Exactly. That's the metaphor. Love it. You just you just keep plodding. You just keep grind. Some days you just grind it out. <laughs> yeah. And there um, are some days in life that feel like that. And there's no yeah. fanfare when you get out of bed in the morning and make your cup of tea or your coffee. No. And go, yeah, you can do this. And it might be yeah. something you wanted to do for years. Yeah. But it's because you've wanted to do it. Yeah. And you've got to yeah. dig deep within yourself. And that's just what I love so much about the film. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yes. And I think I just learned, I think I, I just learned that it sounds a cliche, but I'd learned in the interim that I was my own happy ending. Mm. and I'd always looked out for other people to make my life a happy ending and particularly as a single mum I was always looking for this perfect relationship that was then gonna make up for all the other stuff and then I just sort of realized you know if if you're if you if you're if you've got that happiness within then you kind of just carry that with you each day really not that every day is going to be sunshine but you know the sunshine is there even on those rainy days it will come back hopefully um and um yeah we just we just did grind it out a few days and yeah sometimes I need to remind myself of that when I procrastinate and put things off actually (laughs) yeah well I'm not surprised and I mean that shot of you going under the bridge on your belly yeah I was was like I was trying to breathe through that oh my goodness claustrophobia (laughs) yeah I know and that wasn't that that low there were lower ones um yeah yeah that was quite a high one there's one when um on on august the second when i paddleboarded the longest you know i paddleboarded 24 miles because i was so behind Mm. and i needed to make up time and i paddleboarded into skipton into my hometown um at about 10 30 at night and i went under a bridge at about 10 o'clock at night and you have to lie on your stomach and then turn your head because oh. if you keep your head down it's too big oh. so you have to lie on your stomach turn your head over and the girders of this bridge just sweep across your face um, and then you have like rust in your hair and you smell of rust and I remember just doing this at 10 o'clock at night and thinking oh my god how how am I doing this um yeah. this is incredible um but yeah that one is sometimes I'll look at it and go how did I do that? Yeah, I'm not surprised. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Such crazy. strength. Well, I think it was just, I think it was just joy. I think at that point <laughs> I was just so full of joy that I was coming home into my hometown. Mm. Um, and I just, you know, yeah, just sometimes the spirits overtake you, don't they? Something oh, helps quite you. Quite frequently. Along. Yeah. Something helps you along and you you're not really doing I know I'm not very woo-woo, but somebody's just there watching over you. And I was going to say, I am completely weird, yeah. by the way. Oh, right. <laughs> and so I loved also what you said about the, I mean, I don't want to spoil the ending because it yeah. was so special. Yeah. But how so many things lined up. Yeah. And just reminded yeah, yeah. you of such special people. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, nobody could have forecasted what 
will happen. It was extraordinary. Um, and yeah, so that, as I, although I'm not a woo-woo person, it does feel like maybe <laughs> that was quite like, nice though, by the way. Because yeah, I, I was yeah, laughing yeah, about it saying, my, my mum was a very woo-woo person. Yeah, so she sounded she like it. Totally, yeah. She, she sounded like my yeah, kind so, of lady. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. No, she she loved woo-woo. So yeah, she um yeah, yeah, it was extraordinary. It was extraordinary. So yeah, you just I just t- trusted that that was the right time to do it. Fantastic. So Thank Joe, you. you've also made other films, haven't you? Just tiny little ones on my iPhone. Yeah. Yeah, little ones. So one called Small Things Great Love, which was about litter picking, and then um, one called Finding Joy and then one called Found at Sea, um, just for little film festivals. So Found at Sea is only a minute long. That won a competition like a film festival and Finding Joy won and was screened at another one. So they're not professional, like Brave Enough is a professionally made mm-hmm. film. Those are just me on my iPhone. Um, but, you know, they're on YouTube and they're just little ways of just trying to express, you know, that the joy is within really. So, yeah. Which, aha, lo and behold, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's true, but it takes so a while. Sometimes. Brave Enough is really doing some big things now, isn't it? Yeah, so so we call the film a she. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so um, when Frit, the filmmaker, and I, so this time last year in the UK, Frit was just working on, like, putting the final touches to the film um, to submit to a, fin- a film festival in, in January, like, or 31st of December, the, like, mm. the or 30th, it was like the 30th of December was the deadline and he was like working away. And then we were heading for our third lockdown in the UK and all the signs were we were going to go into lockdown. And so my youngest son uh, said, right, I'm going back to university before they stop me. Right. Um, He said, if I get there, then, you know, I'm in place and I just need to have that university structure. And um, so I realised I woke up on, on New Year's Day and went, I'm going to be alone for another three months, you know, because mm. although dad, my dad was my bubble, he lived a long way away. He was just about to start getting his vaccines. We didn't want to jinx it. So I knew that I'd be working from home. So I sent for it this humongous marketing plan and mm. said, I think we need to put Brave Enough into the world, not just at film festivals, but we need to give her a send off. Mm. You know, we need to say to the world this is our film and we really love it and we hope that you understand the message we're trying to convey and then we let her fly you know but we let her fly knowing that she's got friends on her side I mean I know that sounds really rude but that she's got friends on her side and so we did this whole massive marketing thing we had a press night and then we had four online film festivals of our own with Zoom they were all sold out we had people crying. We had amazing responses. And then we sent the film off into film festivals. And she's been selected for five hugely prestigious ones. Like Kendall Mountain Film Festival is like the BAFTAs of adventure festivals. Wow. And she, yeah, she was selected as a feature film. In some fest, some fe- some films, you might have a group of them about water or climbing or hiking or running which are all really good, but they're in a group. So mm. people might go for one and then happen to see another one, which is, is often really, really interesting. You go for one film and then you, you know, oh my God, I didn't know about this film. But mm. this one was featured as a feature film on its own. So people kind of came and they bought tickets just for that film. Wow. Um, you know, and these are adventure festivals of sort of beardy men, you know. And um, 
yeah, it was extraordinary. It was extraordinary. So we're just hugely grateful um, that she's done so well and, and, and had such a lovely response. And um, and now we're going to put her on Vimeo on demand so more, more people can watch it and, um, you know, rent it, buy it, whatever. Um, and then she can just fly. But she's flying into the world knowing that she's got friends on her side. <laughs> so... That's beautiful. I think you might be a bit more woo-woo than you like to think. I know. <laughs> I am. That's my mother there talking. Oh, yeah, so, I am. Yeah. Joe, would it yeah. be all right with you if um, underneath, when I do the notes for this podcast, would it be all right yeah. with you if I put in the film link so people can go and buy the film to watch? Yeah, yeah, sure. We should have that over in the next couple of weeks, so um, or next week or so, so I can definitely do that. Yeah, that would be that, that would be my honour. Thank you. We'd be so grateful, yeah. Yeah, because it's yeah. such... I, I found it a really moving movie. Oh, thank yeah. you. It was beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, and, and it, as I say, just on so many different levels, I just found it mm. fantastic. So congratulations oh. and thank you for oh. doing it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it was it was great. It was a real it was a real journey for the two of us. So um, yeah, we're proud of it. Thank you. Thank I you. bet. So I've completely bypassed all of my normal questions because oh, okay. you've got such a beautiful story anyway. Um, but the one question I will always ask you is how can people find you so they can follow you? <laughs> oh, thank you. So um, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Healthy Happy 50. I need to change that at some point because somewhere I'll be 60. Um, <laughs> but um, so Healthy, Happy and then 5-0, um, Twitter and Instagram. I have my own podcast called The Joy of Sup, the Paddleboarding Sunshine podcast. And that has its own um, Instagram. I'm not very good at Facebook, but I am Joe Mosley. Um, and the podcast name and LinkedIn again, Joe Mosley. But I have a website called joemosley.com. So basically, at some point, you can find me through that, but mainly Twitter and Instagram at Healthy Happy 50. I, I prefer Instagram. I just, I love the visualized visualness mm. of it. Um, Fantastic. I can't be everywhere and I'm not very good at Facebook. <laughs> but I nor do should you be everywhere, Joe, because you just, yeah. you're too busy having yeah. joy and being outside yeah, doing yeah. adventures. Yeah, yeah, I want to have time to do the adventures, not just talk about the adventures on Twitter and Instagram. So, yeah, yeah, thank you. No, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I'd love pe- love to hear what people think of the film. It's um, it, it's always lovely to hear feedback. So, mm. And it's such a personal journey. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it mm. is. Um, super, super special. Yeah, so um, it was funny because somebody was sort of talking, Quite there's quite a few people I follow on Twitter, talking um, on Instagram, talking about, filters and whether you use filters or whether you show your face as you are and I I don't use I sometimes lighten the picture mm. but I'll never use a filter I'll never flatten out my face or anything that's just my personal choice mm. but um I also think well given as you've seen the film you know there are bits in the film where I have got the camera right up into my face mm. I have no makeup I have mm. must you know because it's all rubbed off I've got mascara running down you can see every spot I've ever got in my life I think well and all my wrinkles and you know my fingernails are filthy and I'm just crying and I think well if I've shown that on a huge movie screen why would I put a filter on Instagram (laughs) (laughs) why you know why would I pretend to anybody that I don't look really grim snotty you know so I I just think well (laughs) Yeah, the world is out there. Anybody can tune in and see what I really look like on a bad day. <laughs> so, um, you know, sometimes I'll look up at the screen and think, 
God, I really could have just moved the camera a bit back, you know, given a bit of breathing space between me and, and everybody seeing right to the back of my, you know, my eyes and and you know, my mascara everywhere. But um, yeah, it is an honest film. And I just hope that that honesty will encourage other women just to look out for themselves. That's really all it's about. You yeah. Know, to show I, that you're not alone. Yeah, it's fantastic. I love it. And I am I feel honoured and privileged to be able to speak to you about it. Thank you. Oh, that's so kind. That's so kind. And what an amazing, you know, that we can do this now. You're in Canada, I'm in Yorkshire. And but and yet the message was out will, you know, hopefully resonate with women all over. Yeah. So absolutely. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. You're so welcome. And on that note, I shall thank you with all of my heart from me and everybody who's listening to this podcast. Oh, thank you. And I look forward to people contacting you and also watching the film. Thank you. Thank you, Lindsay. I do appreciate that. What did you think of the show today? If you've enjoyed it, please leave a review on whatever podcast platform that you're listening on. Also, you can come and join us at the Facebook group for The Magical Midlife. And on Instagram, if you're on Instagram, I'm under Lindsay DeSwart, where you will find the podcast being released there every Wednesday. I really look forward to seeing you there and hearing your comments and any questions. And please come over to the Instagram account or to the Facebook group where you will find downloads and free gifts to help you lead your most magical midlife. See you there.